WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 49, we discussed tonight's strategy session, e-scooter regulations, Cross Charlotte Trail, affordable housing, tonight's national championship game, and we respond to our Facebook Live comments and criticisms. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to R&D in the QC. This is episode 49. We're coming live to you in a recorded fashion, of course, from the uh, Government Center after our first 2019 uh, Council Strategy Session. Larkin, what did you think? And how was your uh, holiday? I think we talked about that last week, but I had a a marvelous holiday. And um, so tonight we had a couple of, of big topics Strategy sessions usually are shorter meetings. We were up in room 267 on the second floor. Uh, going on concurrent to our meeting down in the chamber, there were a couple of the new members of the North Carolina General Assembly getting sworn in, uh, Representative Nassif Majid and Representative Carolyn Logan. Uh, offsite at Queen's University tonight, Representative Brandon Lofton getting sworn in. So that's been happening over the course of the last week. Um, so congrats to all of them. But uh, up in 267, we had a couple of big-ticket items. We had scooters, we had Cross Charlotte Trail, and we had affordable housing. So Did we ever? I say we, we take it in that order. Uh, Mr. Dan Barry on Facebook has pointed out that no one cares about us when there's a Clemson-Alabama <laughs> national championship football game going Mr. on. Mr. Barry, you'll know if you are a frequent listener that our viewership or listenership is much, much higher than either of those teams. Well, let's see. What's the uh, 14-7, Clemson. Oh, man. This to is which be, I say, go Tigers. Go Tigers. This is going to be a high-scoring affair. Uh, uh, good friend great. friend of the pod, Kevin Poirier, has said we should also mention that while our meeting was going on, not only concurrent to our meeting do we have swearing-ins going on, but on the second floor, there was some, and I have no idea how this would have been taking place in the government center, but there was well, some. Well, I can tell you that. The the, the GOP, MEC GOP executive board, I think it is, or, or it could have been, uh, I, I think that's what it was. Uh, was was doing their meeting, so he came to address them. Normal practice, but, but I don't think I, I've been pretty involved with the Democratic Party for for some years now. I don't think we've ever held a meeting at the government center. No, you guys do it in some swanky place, some, yeah. somebody's somebody's mansion or something. We're we're just regular people, <laughs> yeah. all right? <laughs> yeah, that's the stereotype. Um, so that was odd that they were having the meeting here, but then I guess someone got wind all of a sudden in the middle of our meeting. Well, someone posted a picture of him from the meeting. Uh, I saw that. And then all so of a sudden you Bruno saw the, and the scurry Portillo of press and, members and just Spienberg and Harrison meeting. all bolt out of the room. And I'm, I guess the cross Charlotte trail wasn't uh, the, the news well, they were looking for. I'm thinking like, Oh God, what's happened? Uh, you just always assume something bad there. And, uh, and then they start posting pictures. They're all like huddled around the room waiting for him. And his escape route was to go out an emergency exit and set off an alarm. Look, we, we, yeah, we, that's un, unsubstantiated rumor. We don't know that. Uh, other there, than all of the media members who saw him do it. And there was a video. But look, I'm not, look, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Just when you thought things couldn't get worse for Mark Harris. But but back to local <laughs> issues That's here. local. He's, yeah. he's trying to represent a quarter of Charlotte. So what happened tonight? Besides Mark Harris setting off an alarm to escape the media, we talked about a couple of things, and we'll start with scooters. Scooters. Uh, scooters have probably taken up more time on this podcast and on this council than just about any topic we've had. Tonight we saw what would be – it was kind of close to a final draft of a plan moving forward what sort of regulations we'd have around scooters. And so that's everything from potentially capping the speed limit on them to 15 miles an hour to – setting the boundaries, uh, which were Stonewall, College, 7th, and Church as the kind of long rectangle that would be considered the central business district, wherein you would not be able to ride scooters on the sidewalk, um, to a, a rule that I pushed back on a little bit about 
not allowing scooters to be ridden in a vehicle travel lane on a road with a speed limit higher than 35 miles an hour. What were your thoughts on that? You didn't weigh in on that part. Yeah. Um, well, we had heard from the, a lot of the cycling community members, uh, a couple concerns. One that was, uh, the, the concern that, you know, we're kind of bucketing these e-scooters bike shares with also the bike regular bicycle regulation and that it's a real slippery slope. If we start saying, you know, a bike or a scooter or whatever, a scooter. Tell people go. what an e-bike is if they haven't seen them yet out on the streets. Well, They're bi- very new. So there's bike share. Did I, what did I say? E-bike. Tell people what an e-bike is. So an e-bike is like a bike. It's like a bicycle scooter hybrid where you've got a pedal, but it's got an assist to it. So you, sounds like my kind of exercise. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're more of a scooter guy. Oh, well, you know what I mean, but if you um, can sit on it, you ride the two scooters still, right? Side by side. Isn't that your Are thing? you going to make the analogy that doesn't make sense again? Yeah. It's like riding a jet ski. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it is not. Anyway. Uh, so, um, so the, the cycling community was a little concerned that this would be a slippery slope that would uh, inadvertently stop cyclists from being able to ride on a lot of the streets they do. And I mean, the practical point is, our city is, is, is in a varying stages of being cycle scooter friendly, right? So you might have a, 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 a little area here, an area here, but in order for people to connect back and forth, they're going to have to go on a couple roads. So we're, we're going to drill more into that. I think and the long-term future solution is something we're getting to, but not nearly quick enough, which is to have a full network of sidewalks and have a full network of bike lanes. Scooters are eligible and actually encouraged to ride in bike lanes, but we just don't have that yet. And so there's going to be circumstances where people don't have either of those options and, and the point has been made. And it was, it was really ironic because when they showed the picture, just a stock photo of a scooter in front of a statue down in South Charlotte, I thought, I bet every one of those roads around that statue is 45 miles an hour, pulled it up on Google maps, looked at street view. And sure enough, every single road, more than 45, more than 35 miles an hour. Most of them were 45 or, that's, or that's just typical Lark in there doing a bunch of research to kind of call somebody <laughs> out publicly. Beautiful. Yeah. I, here's what I loved. And here's what I hated. I loved that we are out on the forefront of innovating how, how to, how to kind of let these things thrive yet also um, remain safety, remain the balance between the rest of the city that are non-riders and have their concerns. And that's in our dynamic cap model, right? I think this is cutting edge. If you're a free marketer out there, you should love this. Because there was some misunderstanding of it at the meeting tonight. There, okay, which, yeah, which my, my punchline is there was so much misunderstanding that, I mean... P, yeah. One misunderstanding is that it somehow eliminates the opportunity for the city to create a revenue stream which well, that, so that no, that's dynamic fees. That that was a, the dynamic cap was still also misunderstood. But the right. dynamic fees, which they didn't even propose to put on the books, they said we and I, I helped set this up, um, set up a partnership with a local great company, Passport. Who, who, if you don't know them around town, you should look into them. They're doing big things. Who I've been asking for some time now why they are not the the partner that yeah, we have we for on-street parking. And we've got our, uh, in our own use, backyard. Well, we use Park Mobile as, a, as yeah, a technology right. partner, which is a great app, but we have a local business that's doing that same work who Asheville is using for all their Who the uh, city of meters. Chicago uses. Right. Who started in our own backyard? Their office, literally, and you can hit them with a three iron. Yeah. right there. So, what one? Why aren't we supporting our local? You know that that company will be one of the next unicorns that we see in town. Um, so they're, they're engaging in a proposed pilot. So we could t- we could feed two birds with one scone here. Don't use my words, man. That's me being more PC this year. Um, those scones. Um, so so I love the fact that we're innovating in things like that. Uh, I I hate the fact that. You know, a lot of folks are just kind of not f- as deeply versed in this as they should be. And in th- we're at the last hours now of getting something in place because the, the pilot period's ending. And we're at the, folks are asking questions around a dais type format when really, you know, either staff should be coming to them or they should be going to staff to get much more versed off uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, we can't have the strategy sessions or meetings in the chamber be the place where you're getting initial information on stuff. And Can't I, do it. Can't do it. And I think that, you know, you attend committee meetings for committees you're not on. Not everyone can do that. And it's, it's unreasonable to expect that people will, but if something is an issue that you, you have a strong feeling or a passion around, I do think that it's incumbent on us to some degree to dig into it and come in with questions that are informed by information that we've gathered ahead of time, as opposed to trying to gather information on the fly and then 
immediately react to it with, with good questions. That's hard for any of us to do. Um, and, and that was a bit evident tonight. Um, I think in some of the misunderstanding around the model that was being proposed in terms of a number of scooters, the revenue stream potential. Um, and I mentioned to some, to a, a reporter who asked afterwards, I said, if, if you just say it's $50 a scooter and I forget, I think it was maybe Greensboro had said $50 a scooter, then you potentially incentivize the companies to say, well, at $50 a pop, we'll just put thousands of these things out on the street and not really focus on what the market is actually demanding. I think having a more fluid process like we're talking about will make it, will incentivize them to have the right number of scooters out on the street. Cause at $50 a pop, there's probably no end in sight for how many it makes sense for them to deploy. If we're, if we find a way to dynamically charge them or incentivize them to have ones that are getting to your point, the, the kind of make or break numbers, three rides a day, we need to be encouraging a model that makes sure that we're getting to that and not just scooters everywhere that aren't getting used. Exactly. I mean, that's what the dynamic capping model is all about and the dynamic pricing model. It means if you are deploying your scooters and then more people are riding, that's the free market folks out there voting with their ridership, who's doing the best job, who has the best product. And you should be able to put more on, in, on the streets. And, and likewise with the dynamic fee model, you know, you're going to pay X cents per ride uh, to, to cover the fact that you, your business model uses sidewalks in the public right of way, but you're going to get breaks um, and, and the ability to recoup money when you do some of the things we want you to do, like have them parked in the right place, like not having them tossed into lakes or, you know, all the other crazy stuff, like maybe proving you're encouraging your folks to wear helmets because you could snap a, a selfie back there. So, um, Please feel free now that we're live streaming this as well to chime in with thoughts or questions. Nora Trotman, former uh, NC Senate candidate. Thanks for the update. Touchdown, Alabama. If you're tuning in here um, just to get the uh, score from the game, uh, we will keep you posted. But, but Ms. Trotman, what is – I need to know your tie. Why are you a Crimson Tide fan? I think she's just giving it up. Well, there is two exclamation points The exclamation points lead me That leads me to believe she's excited about that. But that's fine. Look. Just that, that's good stuff. We've got a couple other questions. That's going to come up in a top topic we have. So let's move on to the next topic, Larkin. Oh, this one's a doozy. Cross Charlotte Trail. So this was not this was not the first time we were hearing that there is a, a funding shortfall at tonight, but I think it's the first time that we've really heard it detailed or explained explicitly. And so the, the money that was put forward, $38 million, I believe it was, um, with the intent of completing this cross Charlotte trail from UNC Charlotte to, um, to Pineville and Ballantyne is not going to complete it. And so what was proposed tonight was there are three segments where we know we've got engine, plans engineered, we know what the cost will be, we can get those done, and it'll connect some of the larger segments to get together – so you need to essentially be able to have a contiguous trail from more or less Noda to that Pineville Ballantine area. And and it would connect in with a lot of already existing pieces and money that's already been invested both by the city and the county. So I think we need to continue moving forward with those. What we don't have answers for yet is how you fund the pieces from Noda in my district up to Councilmember Fifth's district in UNC Charlotte. One segment of that to the kind of far northeast is funded or is completed rather, but then there's a big gap in the middle. Um, if people want to think about it geographically, it's it's fairly aligned with the Blue Line extension from, I'll say, the 25th Street stop to like the J.W. Clay stop. So let me let me say it in a, a different way. And for those of you who live in Charlotte. You're probably familiar with the Cross Charlotte Trail. For those of you maybe who are newer or tuning in from elsewhere, it's uh, it's 20 plus miles of connected park slash walkability mobility uh, from one end of town to another. Some of them, the segments of it, like the the rail trail and stuff like that, super hot. Um, just it's a really great feature to have. Said another way, what we learned tonight, and we've had inklings of this all along, is in 2012 or so when all of this stuff started. We were proposed a vision. We laid out around 38, give or take, million dollars of bond money to get this thing done. And the expectation was this would get it done. 
at least that's what that's what the community thought. That's what I thought at the time, just just kind of looking as a, a bystander. And we were told today that that money is just about spoken for. There's a couple other projects that could connect a few things to the tune of another 20 million. I wasn't sure exactly how much of that is accounted for in that money, the 38 versus not. And then there's another $77 million to finish it off. So while that is clearly a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a feather in Charlotte's cap and something we should absolutely want, um, it kind of scares me to think that we don't show the whole picture when we vote on a huge sum of money. And it, it's not saying that that's not important. I love that thing. I'm just saying, you know, I would have expected us to see the entire budget, budgetary footprint of this that we were signing up for. And you know what? If it goes over budget or something by $5 million, sometimes you can't expect that. But just not to have the entire scope of it in what was pitched, I think, is not very good. Well, I'll point out, too, that when it was pitched, uh, the current city manager was not here. So this is something that the city manager inherited. It's an estimate that the city manager inherited, not one that he uh, and his leadership team made themselves. And so I think that the way it was made, as, as best I understand, was that they took county I'm, I'm going to oversimplify this, but they took like county metrics on cost per mile and then tried to just say, okay, well, let's apply that to the miles needed through the city. Well, that's obviously not apples to apples. More rural, undeveloped land cost is is not the same as urban infill, places that are already developed, places that are denser and higher property values. Again, I think that's an oversimplification of the error that took place, but it's it's similar to what I've been led to believe. But I think the opportunity lies in the segment I just mentioned that that is not funded there because of the blue line extension there's going to be an immense amount of rezoning an immense amount of redevelopment or just initial development through that corridor and in those transactions in those developments we can work with developers to build out pieces of that trail or set aside those easements and and dedicate that alignment to us as we go in a way that we're not going to be able to do one of the big sections that was proposed uh, to be funded now and be completed is in your district. And you can attest to the fact that real estate through there is not something that's going to be rezoning or redeveloping. It's that ship has sailed. Yes. So we've got to, we've got to do it that way for that segment, the Northeast segment. I think there will be other ways to work with the private sector um, to complete some of that. And I will say we have yet to touch on the fact that one of the things that was proposed to us tonight is that, in the interim, in a very low-cost solution—I'm not going to call it a solution—a low-cost patch, we have created, we've identified a street network whereby we will have a completely signed and routed uh, connection from the northeast UNC Charlotte area down to the Pineville-Ballantyne section. All of it will be completed. Some of it will be dedicated um, greenway trail. Some of it will be just utilizing neighborhood street networks. Um, where there are already sidewalks or sidewalks are going to be built. Um, and there's little places where if anybody's ever been on the trail kind of behind Park Road Shopping Center, there's a little segment where you use an on-street connection that's, to get from one place yeah. to the next. And, and I was going to mention anyone in my district and bordering on yours as well there that runs the trail from Freedom Park all the way back to behind Park Road Shopping Center and kind of it ends. It may not theor- uh, by definition end, but – the next place it picks up is over there near the new stuff they've just done in Marion Deal and in that area. So, I mean, that's a huge distance apart. And that would make a huge connection through a great blossoming area in the district. And, I mean, that, that was presented to us not tonight as something for us to vote on for $17 million, right? So, selfishly in my district, of course, I want that to happen. But, you know, I'm also a little nervous that we're, you know, continuing to um, draw down upon blank checks with unknown dollar amounts at the end. So that's fun. What else you got? Um, we talked about affordable housing. Oh. And so I think oh, there's been, man. again, I think oh. there's been some misunderstanding. Oh. You really? Oh. Settle down over there. That was terrible. Now, really now you're just performing mind. for the live that's stream. performing for live. You know, I always do that when we don't have live stream on. I was, I nearly. I'm watching it on the live I nearly, you look ridiculous. I did. Oh, well, let me see. Mine's got a delay. I nearly lost my mind. Could have potentially been said for any segment of the meeting tonight. That's but, true. Um, 
Do you want to know what what, what I, would I you don't, guess I don't wanna, made I me so upset? What would you guess? And anyone who's a longtime R and D in the QC listener has heard me say this. I would wager a couple dozen times that there's not a plan. Oh, and a what? Pro. Oh, yeah. And a pro forma. That's you like, still haven't learned that word that's yet. Your, that's your buzzword. That's my buzzword. My whole point, starting at least six months ago, was okay. We've got fifty million dollars in the trust that's going to come uh, come through, plus another potentially sixty five million from the private sector to match it. We've got a new locational policy that allows for more flexible building of units to hit this twenty one thousand plus deficit or crisis we have in affordable housing. And we have this framework that lists out a lot of great concepts, but it's a toolkit that you go and do something with. The one thing that's missing is a plan and a pro forma. What says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And even if it's just with our 50 million, not speaking up for LISC, the external partner we've, we've engaged, not speaking up for the private sector's money. My, 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 I, I mean, I plead with everyone Please, that's what we need to do. And one of the arguments made tonight was it would have been arrogant for us to go forward in creating this plan without uh, knowing that it would pass. I, I mean, I almost like bit my, my lip off because that's you. What business out there puts together an ask for $50 million in capital and says, oh, it would be arrogant for me to put together the plan on how I'm going to use it yet. Uh, Mr. Venture Capitalist, I need to know that you're going to give it to me first. And once we know that, that just that's just crazy. But that's what the the, the mantra was going into it. We, I, I made the case, it will be a better justification for the community to vote yes, if they know we're, how we're going to spend it. And now we're in a position where developers are literally calling us and telling us, well, right now they're not accepting, I'm not going to get too nerdy with it, 4% deals versus 9% deals. And they're not even, we're basically letting all this money sit on the sideline that we've said is here for the problem. And we're saying, let's pump the brakes. Now give us time. What were we doing the last six months that we couldn't have created this plan? That's, I mean, that's just like. Well, I think, I think we know that we, and, and you've kind of said too, you don't want us to just say, we're going to do things the way we have always done them. We're just going to do three times more of it or six times more of it with the, the dollars that we have to deploy. I think that the what brought up a lot of the heartburn tonight was people felt like we were pressing pause on the 4% deals, which again, I don't want to get into the weeds of right now. We've talked about it some in the past. But I think the fear, my sense, is that the fear was so many people have come forward and said, well, there's all this money now, so let's put together a 4% deal. Uh, a lot of them are some of the partners that we've worked with in the past. We know do good work. We know hold up their end of the bargain. Um, in fact, I'd say most of them are. I think that the fear was, well, damn, if we, if we fund all these and we do it too quickly – we will miss other opportunities on the back end, and we might look back and say our ROI could have been a lot better if we found some NOAA projects, if we found some whatever. And and we don't know exactly. There is a big announcement coming up on the 15th of this month around some private sector funding that has been raised uh, towards that goal. We're going to hear from LISC in the coming weeks around what their plan and what their, um, their way to contribute to this um, – this issue is going to be in Charlotte. So without having all of that in front of us yet, which we don't, and much of it we don't control, if we go out and we say, well, we're going to do these deals that we kind of understand and we've done in the past, and we burn up all of our money, then we're, we're, we're There's stuck. one flaw in that argument. There's one fatal flaw that completely shuts it down. And that is, I and others who are having a challenge with this right now, uh, we're not saying Let's do all the deals right now, right away. What we're saying is, why are we not accepting proposals for these deals? They have gone out and said, we're opening a small window at the end of January to accept these 9% deals. And for those of you who won't follow that closely enough, just know that we'll only a three. couple we'll of them. We'll get two or three, yeah, they're and we highly will fund all two or three of them. All of it there. So, there, so, so there's 300 units of which... 50 or 75 are in the affordable housing area that we need, right? So, so what I'm saying is, why have we not even opened the application process to say, send them to us? We may not accept them. We may wait. But why would we not even say that? Staff, without coming to us and asking us or telling us, has said to the development community who is interested in solving this problem with us, 
we will not accept or even humor or look at proposals for any of the major projects that are underway. And the problem that's going to happen is that window shuts. These deals are, they're there now. They're tied up right now with all kinds of different real estate, um, legal, transactional kind of diligence processes. And they can't wait six, eight months to figure out if it's viable. They'll just move on. And then we will have lost 2019 to actually make an impact. If people aren't running around at our level with absolute dire urgency, which I was pleading for in 2018, and now in 2019, we have the dollars. I just, there's, there's no excuse for that. I, I don't disagree. I think that there's no reason not to accept them so long as we set the expectation that we've decided we want to have all the information on the table, all the cards on the table. So for the 4% deals, we don't anticipate responding to those or funding those or making those decisions until the spring. I don't see any reason we can't accept those now uh, if, if that's yeah. what what they're preventing. I don't know it what goes difference back. You, it would You make. got on me for calling it a slush fund before. So let me just call it a black box now. It is simply a black box where, no offense to staff, but they are inside that black box, kind of going at it, making decisions on their own, no accountability because we haven't set up a plan or a pro forma that measures them and what they do with this new $50 million treasure What, what who does? Staff. Staff in the one voting on whether or not to authorize deals out of the housing trust fund. That's us. Yeah, but they're not even going to allow it to come to us. What they're saying is we're not even opening at the application process up for proposals for 4% deals. Well, I think we can do that. I, I think we can. Yeah, for, I mean, that's the we, biggest we can, part. We can force the accepting of proposals, but I don't disagree with the idea that we're clearly going to do all the 9%. We don't know exactly what that's going to cost. We don't know exactly what the private sector is bringing to the table. We'll learn more on the 15th. We don't know exactly what LISC is bringing to the table, though we'll learn more in the coming weeks. All I know is that $50 million that the taxpayers entrusted we're, we're, with we're us not, is up to us. It's not up to yeah. LISC. It's not up to any of these no, private but groups. but what they do informs what we'll do. And I think that it it's not – if we're going to be responsible with the money, we don't need to just – come blazing, guns blazing, and totally throw it at the first things that come in front of us. There is not, I I am fully confident there is not going to be a shortage of opportunities to spend this money. There's going to be more opportunities than we can afford to spend the money on. So we do need to be very choosy about what we do. And it does need to be, if, if all of these 4% deals, and I know you're not proposing that we just snap our fingers and fund them all today, but if all of them burn up all the cash in the housing trust fund, then we've completely ignored what we said a year ago. We wanted to be like 40 or 50% of our focus, which is naturally occurring affordable housing. We haven't even started talking about those opportunities yet. And why haven't we even started? Well, we have now because the mayor said she wants to refer to that com- to the committee. Well, the mayor said the in hindsight, I would have gotten us working on this earlier, but we didn't know if it would pass. I was begging everyone to start early. And not only does it make sense and we'd be in a much better position now, we would also have made the case to the taxpayers why the investment was even better. And now here, here's my here's my prediction. If nothing changes, if we don't open the window up to allow 4% deals to come through and really start, you know, being uh, aggressive and uh, and and much more timely about what we're doing, I would say people would have expected us to have Three to five thousand units, give or take, with that fifty million dollars of affordable housing to, do, to to put into the community. I will argue that only three to five hundred will have a shovel in the ground in twenty nineteen if we keep this path. Well, we'll have that just in the nine percent deals, but that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and again, it, it, it's not a shovel in the dirt if we get into Noah's that could probably be converted converted and upfitted more quickly. I don't disagree. So let's ask Angela's question. Hi, Councilman. I'm curious. A lot of the city council always defers to the General Assembly around issues on affordable housing, inclusionary zoning. However, affordable housing was not on the 2018 legislative agenda. Has it been placed on the 2019 legislative agenda, Larkin? So we'll actually be voting on the legislative agenda next week. So that's not been set yet. Um, We are trying to work with our partners at the state to know how we and they can work together on the issue. Um, we've not finalized the agenda yet. And and then when we get down there, we don't know which parts of it they'll bite on and which parts they won't. We do obviously have an entirely, not entirely, a largely new delegation in Mecklenburg County. And then there's a, a lot of new members from all across the state. So there's going to be a lot of learning. Uh, we've started to set up meetings and opportunities to engage with those folks and see 
uh, one of the things that came up today that's not uh, to Angela's question specifically, but it came up in the meeting tonight about Lake Arbor. Uh, Councilman Winston brought that up, and Councilman Mayfield referred to the limitations we have from a state level on what we can do around um, dilapidated properties and what sort of enforcement mechanisms we have to hold those those owners accountable. And again, not that wasn't Angela's question specifically, but um, that's the type of thing with a new legislature that we'll need to re-explore what the appetite is for allowing us to have more leverage to hold those property owners accountable. And in the same way, um, we'll need to, to work with them to see what sort of tools and, and levers they'll allow us to utilize to tackle our affordable housing problem. But we'll, we'll be finalizing that legislative agenda a week from tonight. Right. So that's obviously important. And for those of you who aren't in the weeds of the nerdy details, you know, North Carolina is a, a Dillon rule state, which means that everything Dillon says goes. Dill, yeah. No, uh, it, it's, it's the general, we serve at the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pleasure. At the pleasure of the general assembly. And, um, we are and, granted the authority, only granted the authority uh, that the state grants us. And so um, it manifested itself most uh, notably in House Bill 2 as a reaction to the non-discrimination ordinance passed in Charlotte. And so we do, you know, it's it's not, and, and it does, it is frustrating to, to the public, to us, uh, and it does come across as that, and, and other, there are plenty of other states in the country like this, it does come across as somehow we are, scared of the state government. And I don't think that's what it is. It's just that in Seattle, they can pass an ordinance that only applies to Seattle and the state government can't come in and undo it and then potentially punish them for having done it in the first place. That's not the situation. A lot of people think of it as an, as an, as a negative. I think there's a lot of positives too. There's a lot of positives that come along with that. I mean it, and we're not going to debate Dylan (laughs) rule versus home rule tonight, but it, it is frustrating because it's not something that until you're in the weeds on all this that you really even ever give a second thought to. And so people see something that happens in other metropolitan areas and they go, oh, my God, that's a great idea. And oftentimes it is a great idea. Why doesn't Charlotte do that? Well, Charlotte doesn't do that because we operate under a totally different um, government structure than a Seattle does, than a Portland does, um, than a San Francisco does. And so we have to be realistic about what we can do, what we can get away with. While the supermajority in, in Raleigh was broken, there is still a Republican majority. And so the, there will still be an, a, an aversion to maybe some of the things that we'd look at Seattle doing and want to do ourselves. Uh, and maybe even if and when there's a Democratic majority, we still might not be granted that authority. We don't know. And that's why we have to build those relationships. That's why we have to... I wouldn't worry about that. We have... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They'll let us do it once we have a Democratic majority. (laughs) Um, But we've got we've got to put our toe in the water and get a a sense of the temperature in Raleigh for stuff before we just go off and do it. Absolutely. And that's the whole reason that that you and I um, co-chair this committee. Because if, if we don't build those relationships, we don't build that trust and we can't call our legislators and legislators from other parts of the state and say, we've got an idea what's your sense of, of the reaction that it will get in Raleigh. If you don't have those conversations ahead of time, that's how you end up with a house bill too. Yep. yep. So uh, anybody else on, uh, on uh, listening on watching on live stream, if you have any questions, throw them out there. My, my good buddy, Zach from alter architects just I learned see. something today. He, uh, he learned about the difference between home rule and Dylan rule. And I assume he'll be submitting a book report on it to us uh, in short order. Let's do that. Score the game. 1614, that could be a little delayed. Appreciate all these new people coming in and Ange- joining in. Angela, uh, who who I will mention, you'll remember from just a couple weeks ago, was here at City Council advocating for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Wonderful advocate for that in our community and in District 1. She says, Tarek, your party rules, and what I think she means is they're in control. I don't think she means they rule like they're awesome. No, I'm pretty sure she meant rule like rules. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm going to go ahead and interpret but that. But she's just saying rules. we need your cross-collaboration on this. Which... I appreciate it. I also feel my party rules. Zach's already started on his book report. That's great. Look at this. Everyone's uh, like tuning in to hear You know what I just realized, though, the that comments. the people who only listen to the audio of this tomorrow are not going to have any clue what we're talking about. That's wonderful. So, so I don't – Tark maybe mentioned it at the top of the show. We are Facebook live streaming this. And so you can go back, if you'd like, to the R&D and the QC and watch it twice. Facebook page or either yeah. of Tark and I's pages – 
and you can uh, see those comments, maybe even start them at the same time, and then you'll 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 be in real time. You'll know what we're talking about. So we talked today about today's stuff. We talked about scooters and the scooter saga. Uh, we talked about the Cross Charlotte Trail and a forecasting budgetary nightmare. And we talked about uh, affordable housing and a lack of planning and pro forma-ing. So um, what's, what else is coming up on the docket for folks to pay attention to these next uh, couple weeks and months? Well, there's nothing, uh, something that, that everyone will see online tonight and, uh, and in the papers tomorrow, and it's not been <laughs> officially confirmed. I can't wait to hear how you describe this. It's not been officially confirmed, but we have several reporters who have indicated that they've heard the CIAA tournament will be moving to Baltimore for the three years. Now we've got it next month. Uh, so end of February, 2019. And then we also have it already under contract for 2020. The contract that is, is out to bid right now is for 2021, 22 and 23. Uh, and then the same process would, would happen in uh, the coming years to bid it out beyond so that. So are you saying that it's 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 formal? That, that, I can that, neither conform, confirm nor deny uh, the media reports tonight. Let's assume that what what the rumors we've been hearing on the street are true. Um, I mean, this is kind of a big deal, right? This is kind of a big impact. It's a big deal, but I, I saw some of the, uh, the hot takes online about it, I think were oversimplifications. There were people who said, you know, that we were focused on other things and that's why we lost the CIAA potentially. Um, and that's just not the case. I mean, the fact of the matter is that, that this has been here for something to the order of like 12 or 13 or 14 years. It's grown which right is, alongside of Charlotte growing at the same time. I mean, it's been well, here that long. This tournament when I was in elementary school was held in Winston-Salem where I lived. Um, I actually ball boyed it when I was in elementary school. And so it's the fact that it's been here for nearly a decade and a half is unprecedented. A lot yeah, of these true. things, I mean, look at the ACC tournament. It frequently comes back to Charlotte, but it doesn't stay in Charlotte for 13 or 14 years. They move these things around to be more geographically close to certain schools in the conference. There's a school, uh, I believe, up in the Philadelphia area that's in the CIAA. They, they want to move it around. And you consider what, where the alumni base for a lot of these schools live. They live primarily on the East Coast, I believe. And so you've got folks in the D.C. area. You've got folks who live in Philadelphia and New York. They're, they're coming from, anecdotally, my observation of the people who come to Charlotte for the CIAA tournament, the alumni from these schools, are coming from all over the East Coast and beyond. But So you want it to be in different markets. You want to give people variety. And, and frankly, it's a miracle that it's been here for as long as it has been. And it's, I would say, highly likely that if it leaves to go somewhere else for a couple it years, come back. it might well come back. Yeah. And so it's this is not something where Charlotte was snubbed. I think this is something where it, it they felt like they had it'd been here for a long time. The, the conference is not even considering moving their headquarters out of Charlotte. They'll still be headquartered here. It'll still make a lot of sense in the future for them to be here. And like the ACC tournament, like the ACC football championship, these things ebb and flow in and out of cities, and they want to spread themselves out geographically to broaden their market and broaden their base. Um, this is not a knock on Charlotte if if they are to go somewhere else. It's just that they're they're looking for something different for a while, and and I think ultimately it will come back around to us uh, at some point in the not too distant future if if it leaves now. So enjoy it this year, enjoy it next year. If it goes somewhere for a couple of years, best of luck to them. I think they'll get there and then realize that that what they've got here in Charlotte is is really pretty special and i think they'll they'll miss it and they'll come back so i, I don't think people should overreact or uh, read too much into uh if if the announcement made by the CIAA tomorrow is that they're they're headed somewhere else for a few years so um do you have a since we're now in 2019 we're <laughs> angela start- angela said her dad has been ready for it to leave he's a jcsu grad so i guess it's just when i i, I do think there's a lot of people who kind of go all right well it's you know, the same thing for, for 13 years. If you're coming in from Atlanta, you're yeah. coming in from DC, yeah. everybody likes a little change of scenery. So, uh, it's just going to be like the Amazon HQ two or, uh, uh, <laughs> everybody HQ2 has to thing. We're all bids like, and well, no, we'll, but we're all like, we'll, we'll spend the next month, uh, making up excuses and saying why it wasn't us or this or that. Well, and the, the reports that have come out again, unsubstantiated reports at this time indicated that <laughs> what, potentially led to this decision that's, the potential that's being, decision that, that's being reported the alleged potential decision that the city of baltimore offered a higher amount of pledge uh, pledge dollars in terms of scholarships for for CIAA schools that's that's a 
a big deal. So if they came out and said, we will offer more to your, your conference scholarship fund that that can make or break a deal. And I think uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. So some of the things I saw on Facebook, just the, like I said, the hot takes were a little silly. Uh, I think people have overreacted. looks like Clemson's up again, 21, 16. Does that mean that Alabama missed an extra point? I, I, I saw that it, it got, it got to 13 and then it didn't go to 14. So I think I'm they assuming must have missed uh, an extra point. We're watching it like old school. Like, uh, it's the game cast on the, the ESPN cast. app. Yeah, we're not strong. seeing anything yeah. except just like the score exciting. and like a little icon that's moving down a little virtual field. Hey, why don't we close out with, so uh, we can go watch the real game, that, but, but close out with the, the rumor mill of, of uh, the 2019 election season and candidates that we're starting to hear that are jumping in. Well, suddenly and and surprisingly, because it's a very low profile race generally, um, you usually have like one strong Republican candidate, one strong Democratic candidate. The field for lieutenant governor is filling up uh, fast. Yes, yes, it um, is. So I've always had dreams of being number two. Many people are saying right now. <laughs> well, I mean, we we already know who the the governor race is going to be. It's going to be Roy Cooper. Uh, against our current lieutenant governor Dan Forrest, uh, I don't know that he's formally announced that, has he? I mean, it's I mean, a foregone it's, conclusion. Yeah, it's, it's a done deal. We did hear some uh, indications from our our buddy, or at least my buddy, <laughs> Pat McCrory, who is saying that he's not running for NC09 in the House, but he uh, is doing diligence for the next year on uh, 2020 governor run and uh, and uh, 22 Senate. 22 Senate. My prediction is that that Pat McCrory would not be running for governor in 2020. I think Dan Forrest is pretty well staked out. So who are, who are all the folks running for lieutenant governor? I got my side. Yeah. So well today, and you informed me of this. I, that, I uh, oh you you want to announce the Republicans? No. Well, uh, yeah, but there's one you can't say <laughs> yet. He hasn't announced yet. That well, Jim Puckett. The, Jim, that one's good. Jim, Jim Puckett, Puckett I saw standing today. out in the government center circle. I'm pretty Jim, sure he's Jim all, Puckett he's no longer there. works at the government center, so I was confused, and I texted you to ask why he was here. There's another pretty high-profile well, guy that's also um, finishing his diligence, and I think we'll hear from in the next couple weeks on the Republican side as well. But right now, I well, think all we've heard is Jim Puckett. And, and there have been rumors. I've not heard much more about it recently, but there was initially a rumor – um, that Joel Ford was considering running and potentially switching parties to do so. I don't know if he's running or if he's considering switching parties. I've not heard much of that in the in the recent weeks. And who else? It was the, the, uh, the old Malcolm city Graham, Malcolm Graham, who former Charlotte City as a Democrat. Malcolm Graham, former City Council and former State Senate. Um, my friend Terry Van Dyne, who is the Senate Minority Whip in the North Carolina Senate for the Democrats, and is out of the Asheville area. Um, wonderful person and she has formally announced uh malcolm i believe is exploring cal cunningham former state legislator who's been out of the game for a bit um pretty well known pretty well connected i believe he's out of the triangle area um i don't know him very well i feel like there was someone else but i but it's but it's interesting because i mean it's it's going to be an open seat it's um I get it, all my updates there, now from long leave politics. There, there's the no one who That's where I found where, like Dan Forrest all this stuff. Dan Forrest basically the moment he got reelected lieutenant governor kind of staked his spot out as the presumed uh, gubernatorial nominee for the Republican Party. No one did that for lieutenant governor. Um it is anticipated that that Attorney General Josh Stein will probably run for governor uh in the Democratic spot when Roy really? Cooper doesn't. Oh, I didn't know um, that. So, like, maybe Roy Cooper does a second term than Josh, and again, not something he's said, but it, there, you know, in in interparty politics, there's some assumptions that people go, okay, and this is the next step. No one, I don't think, on either side of the aisle had said, oh, this guy's staking out lieutenant governor, this guy's staking out lieutenant governor, and now it's a free for all. Yeah. Um, and then two. I heard uh, you were running for mayor. Is that true? Is that, it's is not that because I definitively could not beat Vi Lyles, <laughs> and frankly, wouldn't want to. She's she's doing a bang up job but um and then and then we haven't heard any more about who might we keep hearing who might not or who's planning on not running uh to unseat the disgraced candidate mark harris but uh we haven't Come really on, heard man. anybody definitively say that they would run mccrory said he's not pittenger said he's not um but that leaves some folks out there well i uh 
I think there's a couple people that. And I only say disgrace are, because he left out of an emergency exit in a non-emergency situation, which I leave it to you Democrats to always kind of jump on the bandwagon. I wonder if McCray Dallas was here tonight. Substantiated man, you're terrible. maybe he was. You're maybe he found human. some more ballots. Now I think we can all say. Uh, uh, speak negatively about McCray Dallas at this point. I, I, then again, we'll wait till all the facts go through. But all the votes does, are counted. It does seem to be uh, an easy one to kind of look at. Uh, I, uh, I I know that no, I don't know that anyone has formally come out. I think they're waiting to see what happens um, if and if if a primary is even recalled. But I have. Well, after this emergency exit scandal, I got to say, I think that the, the door is wide it, open. Stop it! You're so terrible. Y'all can't put him forward again. Um, listen. We have to let the process play out. But I have heard a lot of people asking questions of Matthew Ridenour uh, for a run. I've heard a lot of people asking questions about Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith was on Flashpoint uh, maybe two weeks ago. And he what was about one there. of the guys? What about one and of the guys he, who was... kind of said, it's too early to tell. We don't know all the details, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a hard no. What about one of the guys who was commenting on our Facebook live stream earlier? Who was commenting earlier? Telling us there was a football game on and that no one cared about us. Was that Ray McKinnon? I don't think Ray McKinnon's running. Oh yes! Oh, great prime. call, great call. Um, yes, our Dan uh, Barry's name. Our good buddy been... Dan Barry, our good buddy. Do you know Dan? <laughs> I know Dan. Oh yeah. We're, so he's yes, right. Cool. You guys know each other from. Uh... I would, I don't know. No offense, Dan. I don't know if we're good buddies, but we, we know each other. Okay. We're well, yeah. So a lot of people. Again, I haven't heard anything directly from him, but a lot of people are saying that um, that he is an interesting uh, uh, candidate uh, prospect, given the fact that Union County and everything. Um, is, he's gonna appreciate a, a, that the adjective you came up with was interesting. I, I'm trying not to like <laughs> throw any of them under the bus by saying this person's running. I'm just saying that people in the community have been talking about those folks as it relates to potential candidates. I am sure that if this thing comes back up, there will be no uh, shortage of candidates running for it. And I can distinctively say that I will not absolutely ever consider about being now, one of them. You you know uh, we. We can't have people weigh in with questions that we don't address. What do we got? And I here? think my friend Ray McKinnon has just joined us and didn't get the story about Mark Harris running out it's, of an emergency exit to get away from the media. He can go back to the beginning of the episode now, when we uh, when we get The question it is, who holds a meeting at the government center and then expects the media not to be there on a night where two legislators are getting sworn in and the city council is having a meeting? I'm not. That's a real. That's a. This is the kind of thing. That, that the, someone who doesn't think things there, through. But you cannot jump to any conclusions. That's all I'm going to say. You know what? Say. Robert Pinter takes a look at McCray Dallas and goes, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Mark Harris goes, I'll take him. No. Yeah, and then we, they go, we, hey, Mark, we don't want you to get bombarded by the media. Where should we have this meeting? Let's go to the government center on a Monday night. <laughs> this is the sort of short-sightedness that this man has demonstrated that leads me to believe he is not qualified to be a member of Congress. There, listen, there, uh, in fairness, you, we need to not jump to conclusions. Good. Are I there think some we things? answered Ray's question. Oh, good. Ray's good. <laughs> Perfect. There are some things that look a bit suspect, but there's a process. We too often in this country are jumping to conclusions without allowing the process to finish. And whether it looks like it's completely 100% the case or not, you got to be fair. You've got to be fair to the process. Yeah, you don't want to, you know, it would, I don't want to do something like just assume that I know what Mark Harris had to do with this and start chanting things like lock him up or anything like that. You know, that would be jumping to a conclusion that the facts just don't support you. I'm not going to lie. You, you maybe live streaming isn't a good idea. You're getting like, you got all this, these folks that are fueling you. Yeah, man. You're, and this is why people are frustrated with Democrats. You're just so hyper-partisan yeah. all the time. Yeah. Cause we chant lock them up about people. See, that we don't have. Facts what did about. we start this podcast with Larkin? A goal to do what? Talk about city, municipal, local issues. Talk about McCray Dallas. Well, we, don't, we don't have to be. We, I, the last month or so, I think we've had to stray into some more state and national level politics. Got all this, and you know what? It's good conversation. Everyone's addicted to it. But it, here you go. We right through into, your bone. He likes your vest. That isn't. That isn't. That isn't good though. That's looks. I'm talking about content of my of my yeah. speech here. Yeah, he probably didn't mean it. Okay, so Clemson um, scored again, twenty-eight sixteen. I called that in the meeting. Go Tigers! Good. That's not good. All right, can we um, go home and watch the second half? Yeah, I think so. I think, at I think our respective uh, yeah. homes. I think uh, I think we've we've really uh, we got to revisit our strategy horse. for live streaming here. It makes us just continue on. Oh, good, we're we're at the uh, fifty-minute mark. <laughs> no, we're not. I don't know. Maybe not. I hope not. So, any final thoughts uh, there, Larkin? Go Tigers! Do we have anything coming up? Any podcast, uh, po- live podcasts, or? 
That's your that's really your department. Know. Yeah. Man. I don't know. Oh, oh, uh we do have something coming up. On Friday, February first, anybody who's not been to Creative Morning Charlotte is going to want to get on their email list and make sure you grab a ticket. These tickets literally sell out. They're free, but they 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 have to cap based on the size of the room they're in, usually at three, three hundred and fifty people, and they, they sell out in fifteen minutes. You're gonna want to get on there. Um Tarek and I along with Braxton and Dimple, are going to be the guest speakers at the Friday, February 1st, monthly creative mornings meeting, location TBD. Um, But it's a really cool event with local live music, kind of trivia and games and giveaways. And um, it's just a community of creative folks coming together and kicking off a Friday morning in a really fun way. So sign up for their email list or follow them on Facebook make sure you come to that because um, it's going to be really interesting. I just had a planning meeting with the organizers yesterday and I think we're, we're onto something. It's going to be a, a fun day. Yeah. That sounds fun. Can't wait. And then we're going to be on their podcast. Uh, the Charlotte is creative, creative mornings podcast. You and I are, um, I think Braxton Dimple might be sticking around to join us for that. And then we're going to use the same audio on their podcast and on our podcast and kind of cross pollinate there, try to pick up some new listeners for both. I can't wait. So, all right. Good news, man. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Wow, not really. Not yeah. good for, for Bama right now. Well, that's all right. We got we to gotta support our, our South Carolina brethren. All right. Well, this has been episode 49, which means, Larkin, you know what the next episode is. The half century mark, Half century mark for R&D in the QC. Uh, that's been, it's been a long time. I'm really. We'll have a lot to talk about next week. Good. So it'll be a big one. Maybe we'll find some special guests to bring on too. Uh, I believe we are tentatively going to have the new chair of the Mecklenburg County Commission on next week, Mr. George Dunlap. Ooh, so okay. look forward to, to talking to him and about his goals uh, for this upcoming year on County Commission. Martin Wells, how you doing out there? Uh, see, this is great live streaming. Haven't seen this guy, I don't think, since middle school. Good, good, good to see you, buddy. All right. That's it. We will talk to you guys next week. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.